Who is the author? Who is the author of my life? And and again, I, I want to. I want to. I, I don't want to just run past this. I'm going to come back to it in a minute. But I'm I'm so grateful for the men and women who who serve in all the branches of the military and and have given their lives. Uh, some of them even sacrificed their lives. And and I don't take that for granted. I, my family and, and my freedom is indebted unto you. And Scripture says, no greater have uh, no greater love have any man than this than he who is willing to lay down his life for his friend. And so for all of those who have served in that capacity, man, I spent, uh, I spent nights in tears just being away from my family and friends, uh, just playing a, a baseball game. I can't imagine what it would be like to be in the trenches. And I don't want to downplay that or lessen it. But at the same time, I, I believe that we have some people who are spiritually and, and as a body of Christ, they, they are willing to dig and, and to serve in the trenches. And some of those people we have in our sanctuary today, we call them our small group leaders. If, you're in a, if you led a small group this semester, would you just wave at us? Maybe you hosted one in your house or you had, look, see, there's a, a several small group hosts and leaders. We had o- over 150 people involved in small groups this fall where discipleship is taking place and relationships are being built. Like you can grow closer to Jesus in a service, in a sanctuary, in the midst where two or three are gathered. You can grow closer to Jesus in a Sunday morning in rows, but you develop relationship in circles. Connections are made in small groups and in circles. And this isn't just like a cultural thing that we're trying to be a part of. We believe that small groups is a biblical mandate, that the people met in the temple and they gathered house to house. They walked through life together. And so I just wanted to honor our small group leaders and all of those who are a part of small groups this semester. And I want to challenge and encourage you uh, even today to begin to evaluate and pray, man, could I co-host or co-lead a small group in the spring? Is God calling me to begin to consider going through next steps and learning the heart behind the habits in this house? We want to encourage you to get involved. We took 11 people yesterday down to the Freedom Conference uh, offered by Crossroads Church. They don't make that a public thing. We were able to connect with them through our friendship with their pastors and relationship with their pastors. And 11 people found freedom from things that they didn't even know they had inside of them yesterday. They found freedom and deliverance from things that they didn't even realize they were carrying. And we need more freedom small group leaders and more people going through that freedom career so that we don't just experience salvation, but we experience sanctification from all the things that Jesus paid for. Because how many of you have seen a believer stay bound in their lives? Now they believe and, and we're settled and our salvation is settled in Christ. And yet we live a life of bondage and we live a life where we're carrying a weight that Jesus actually already carried up the hill of Golgotha and paid for on the cross at Calvary. And those things happen. The scripture says, confess your sins to God and he is faithful and just to forgive. But you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And we want to write a story of healing and freedom and victory, not just through connecting with Jesus, but connecting with the people who Jesus is saving and sanctifying and discipling. This is my story. This is my story. Who is, who is the author? 
John the Apostle writes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. This is in your notes. John says, we proclaim to you. Who is the we? The we is the people that John connected with in his discipleship walk. The relationships that he formed in following Jesus. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. Who is the author? The author of my life. I'm grateful and able to say in this journey that I have learned that the author of my life, when I handed Jesus the pen, he began to rewrite my story in a way that was better than what I had even imagined for it previously. When I handed him the pen, he began to redeem the story that had been written and reinvigorate the story that was being written. Jesus took the pen and he began to pave the way for me to walk down paths that I would have never been able to walk down had I not handed him the pen. The reason that I know I can hand Jesus the pen, come on second service, y'all help me out today. The reason I know I can hand Jesus the pen is because he's the author and the finisher, the perfecter of everything in between. I handed the pen to the one that knows the end from the beginning. He was there, he is here, and he will always be. And so when I hand him him the pen to my life. He writes a story that's better than anything that I could have come up with on my own. And John is proclaiming that Jesus did that in his story. We've heard him. We've seen him. We saw him with our eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. John is saying, you may be able to argue with my scripture, but you can't argue with my story. Because Jesus changed it when I gave him the pen. Let me ask you three questions today. And they're really the same general question, but specifically different. Number one, who is the author of your story? Who's the author? Who, who holds the pen? And finally, who is writing the pages of your life? Who is the author of your story, the entire book of your life? But who holds the pen of every moment of every day, every letter? And finally, who's, who's writing the pages in every aspect of everything that you do? And I want to ask you whether you're a follower of Christ or, or whether you're learning to believe or whether you came in here today and, and maybe you haven't even been believing or haven't even been following Jesus. I want to ask you today to evaluate is Jesus really writing my story? Does my life reflect the authorship of Christ? Or does my life actually reflect that I'm in control, that I'm in charge? I said today, I didn't dress like John Rambo on accident this morning. Uh, that was a movie in the 80s. And was, anyways, you go Google it later. Um, this jacket actually, and I, I messed this up in, in first service, and I apologize to my father-in-law, Anthony Cavider is my my father-in-law, and he he gave me this jacket. He, jacket. He was active military. I, I thought he was in the Air Force because I knew that he flew helicopters. He's in the Army. He flew helicopters during Desert Storm, and and this is his 
his jacket that he had and as an active member of our military. I also have a, an uncle. Um, he was adopted into our family, but man, he's, he was one of the ones early on that, that, that was led into the spirit-filled movement and began to teach me and, and communicate things to me that I had never understood or heard before. He was the one that, that flew in from Alabama and prayed at my dad's bedside uh, like he really believed God could still heal. And, and my uncle Jimmy, James Strickland, he went into the military at, at 18 years old. Uh, like my father-in-law, served in the army for 20 years and retired in good standing in our military. Uh, I know that my father-in-law spent some time away from his family and the people that he loved. And I know specifically that my, my uncle James Strickland spent six years of 20 years, six years away from my cousin Allie and her brothers. Uh, he spent six years away from his bride and family over that 20 years and so I, I wanted to wear his jacket today. I just, I just wanted to wear that. And, and I had these boots my dad bought me when I was 15 years old. And these are still cool to some people. Uh, it's like they came back. Uh, they came back, this pre-millennial outfit I'm wearing today. I know some of, some of the people in this room today, they thought, man, what is he wearing? Like, man, that's good. I didn't know my pastor dressed that way. And then some of you came in, you're like, what is he wearing? You know, it's like, <laughs> what is he doing? Where, where are we going with this? And so for really, the, the, for really, what if that's, for really, okay. So that's what my dad used to dress, my mom used to dress me in on Sunday morning was this for really little white thing that I would wear with shorty shorts and long white socks and shoes. Like I came off of a little Oshkosh Bagosh commercial or something. Y'all know what Oshkosh Bagosh, y'all need to Google Oshkosh Bagosh too, that's great stuff. Okay, so anyways, uh, I wore this on purpose to illustrate a point. Um, there's two ends of the spectrum when it comes to you know, dressing or wearing things uh, to a service, to a church service, or, or, or even dressing and wearing things in the morning. There's this one end of the spectrum where, where people are like, I'm going to wear what I want, and I'm going to be I'm gonna be comfortable. I'm going to do me, and I don't care what anybody thinks. Okay, listen, I, I want to address that um, because I believe that to be a little bit of a heart issue. I, I, I believe that there's a rebellious spirit in that attitude that if you're not careful can filter over into every authority figure in your life including your personal relationship with Jesus on the other end of the spectrum are not these people that think uh, I don't care what anybody thinks but but you look down your nose or we look down our nose at people and and we say what are they thinking you know, like, like they put that on on purpose, looked in the mirror and thought, yep, that's what I was going for. And then walked out of the house and made that decision intentionally. I never make fun of things that people can't help. But if you did something on purpose that looks ignorant to me, I may laugh. I'm just telling you, like, just be honest. So if you hear me picking on people or saying things, I don't pick on things that people can't help. Um, but, but I may make fun of something that you did on purpose. That's just ignorant to me. It's just my opinion. I may do that. But what we do, if we're not careful, we're, we're over here and we say, I don't care what people think. And then ultimately what we're saying is, I don't care if I have influence in Jesus' name. What we're saying is, I, I don't care about the people that God puts in my path. I, I'm going to ignore the spirit of excellence that caused the prophet Daniel to rise to the top 
of the culture of tyranny. I'm going to ignore that spirit of excellence. I'm going to rebel, and I'm going to live how I want to, when I want to, where I want to, and I don't care whether my witness is affected, and I don't care that I'm going to have to give an answer for that. But then way over here, and I'll tell you a story to illustrate. I had a friend in Searcy, Arkansas, and my friend drove a garbage truck. Now listen, when I was a kid, I would go out on the swing with my nana, Deanne Fry, and she would make me some coffee milk, as Gabriel calls it today, and and we would swing and wait for my dad or my mom to come pick me up. And I thought it was the coolest thing. They used to pick trash up there in the afternoons for some reason, but that trash truck would come down the road, and there would be this cat on the back of the truck. You remember then when that was legal? He would be on the back of the truck. They had a footstool for this brother, and he would be standing on the back of the truck, holding on to the truck. He would jump off the truck and take the trash, throw it into the canister, jump back on the truck, and ride off. And I thought as a child, that's what I want to be when I grow up. (laughs) That is cool, man. I want to ride on that truck. That is awesome. My friend who got up at 3 o'clock every day, 3 a.m. every day, and drove a trash truck and, and tried, spent his life finding a place for my trash, served our community in that capacity and, and worked hard to provide for his family. He was, he was testing the waters, if you will. You know, he was looking over the fence. He was coming to service. In fact, he was kind of sitting in a sanctuary, a little bit bigger than ours. They still had pews. He was kind of back here in this corner. He sat down, and, and my, my friend was just, he was in a tough place in life, and he had had a, a rough previous life, and, and most of it was illustrated in ink on his arms and neck and back and face <laughs> and down each side of his body, and, and I don't have anything against that. Jesus is coming back, the Bible says, on his robe and on his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords, and so Jesus has a tattoo. Okay, anyway, sis, he was covered in tattoos, and, and listen, he had rings, like he had rings for his rings, okay? This brother had like a ring going through his nose and a ring hanging off the ring that was going through his nose. So when he looked this way, he had a little jingle, you know, like if we needed somebody to just this for us in the sanctuary, he could keep time for us. Anyway, so he was, he was sitting in the sanctuary, he's in church, he was in church, Amen. sitting in the sanctuary and there were, there were three little ladies behind him and I, I guess... I guess as we, y'all are in trouble. If I get older and can't hear and I talk louder than I already do, everybody around me is destined for doom. But apparently, the older that you get, if you have a hard time hearing, you just begin to talk louder, whether you realize it or not. Okay, so they were speaking, apparently, either, if they were doing this on purpose, then shame on them. But I think they were speaking in a way that he wouldn't hear them, but they were talking about him talking about what he was wearing and how he was covered and all this stuff hanging, all that junk hanging off of him and blah, blah, blah. And he heard him. And he got up and he walked out of the sanctuary that day. And we ended up winning him back and, and through relationship, getting him plugged back in. And I've been, I, what I'm trying to illustrate is I've, I've been a part of congregations who were more concerned with what someone was wearing than the fact that they were there. And I don't think that either one of those is okay. I I don't think it's okay to say, I'm going to do whatever I want to, and I don't care what anybody else thinks. 
But, but shame on us as a church if we make somebody feel uncomfortable because they don't know how to fit into our culture. Listen, it is not our job to fix them. It is our job to find them a place to fit, to lead them to Jesus and stop expecting them to know what we know when we already know him. If we can get them to him, then he will fill them and he will fix them and we don't have to do it for him. That's his job. Listen, friend, if they're not listening to the Holy Spirit, they're not going to listen to you. Lead them to him. When we forget our purpose, when we lose our purpose, listen, we lose his people. And families are affected by our opinion and our preference, preference. And by the way, I have never led anyone to Jesus because of my opinion. Not one time has anybody listened to my Facebook rant and put in the comments, my Lord have mercy, the light has just come on for me. Could you call me and lead me in a prayer of salvation right now? That's never happened. So I don't spend my life, as my mentor would say, I don't spend my life trying to prove a point. I spend my life attempting in Jesus' name to make a difference. Anybody can make a point, but it takes a man and a woman of God to make a difference in the heart of an individual that is lost, confused, burdened, and broken, and that's who we desire to be. Well, the author of my story is Jesus. Well, the author of our story should be Jesus. That's who it should be. But if Jesus is the author, listen, If Jesus is the author, then my life will reflect his writings. I will love like he loved. I will live like he lived. I will give as he gave. If he is the author, if he is writing the story of my life, then my life will be a reflection of his writings. And so let me ask you today, does your life reflect his writing? Is he writing the story of our lives? Now, I'm, I'm not okay with, with losing my emotional stability over some, what someone does or doesn't do. I, I'm not saying I never do it. I'm just not okay with it. God help me. I'm not going to do that. And if I do, I'm going to apologize And I'm not going to go down that road. And I'm going to be careful treading on this very thin ice. But let me say it this way. I I am for, and dressed this way, it's it's obvious, but I am for the the right to to bear arms. Okay? Uh, I am for the, the patrolling and the protecting of our borders. Those are my values. Those are my convictions. I'm, I'm for those things. Listen, I, I lock my doors at night, okay? Uh, but I, I'm just as much for the value of a life outside of the womb, no matter what country they came from, as I am the value of a life inside of the womb. And you can interpret both of those however you want to. I'm, I'm, for, I'm for life is what I'm for, okay? I lock my doors at night, And if you come into my house unwelcome, unwanted, or with the wrong intent, there are guns, plural, waiting for you. Not singularly, but but plural guns like 
all over waiting for you. And so I'm, I'm for those things. Okay, but listen, here's, here's what I'm not for. I'm not for losing my witness, my influence, my credibility, my sanity, or my emotional stability, whether I win or whether I lose. I do my part as a citizen in this country, and then I allow whatever is done to be done. So here's what I want to say. I didn't stay up late Tuesday night waiting for what would or would not happen. And when I woke up Wednesday morning, whether I was upset or whether I wasn't, I didn't allow what happened to dictate what I did that day. Because Washington is not writing my story. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who is building a kingdom not made by the hands of men. He is the author and the perfecter, the finisher of my life. And he is writing a story that is greater than the government could ever create on their own. So in that, I find my protection. In him, I find my fulfillment. In him, I have my security. And in his spirit, I find my comfort and stability. It's not based on what other people do. So I turned on some worship music Wednesday morning. I regained my composure and I get back to work doing what God called me to do for that day. This may be a little edgy. This may be a little in your face, but I want to remind some of those this morning who have these convictions as I do. I'm a political science major. It's my bachelor's degree. I spent five years. I know you only spoke to spend four. I spent five years <laughs> studying this stuff. I have a graduate degree in Christian leadership. These things are important to me, but I want to convince you this morning that our calling and our commission is not to convert people to conservative values. Our calling and our commission is to convert people to Jesus Christ. And when we convert to people to Jesus, then his conviction will lead them to the cross of Calvary. His conviction will lead them to adjust their values and their morals because moral standards are based on moral standing. And if you're not standing in Christ, then your standards won't be where he is. But when you are standing with Jesus, then you will have the same conviction. You will have the same values. And I don't have to worry about trying to do Jesus's job for him. Let me remind you that the early church was built in the face of tyranny. The early church was built in the face of Roman government, Roman empire. And for 300 years, Christians gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. For 300 years, Christians gave up their convenience, gave up their comfort, gave up their security, and said, I will follow Christ no matter the cost. And at the end of 300 years, because Christians understood that their purpose was to convert people for the sake of the gospel, the government recognized that the Christians had something that they didn't have. And the state of the nation was changed. The conviction of the king on earth was changed by the conviction of the king over all the heavens and over all the earth. And when people were, had their purpose and their focus straight, then the nation followed. So I'm not saying this morning, listen, I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't be concerned over the state of our nation. That's not what I'm saying, okay? I'm saying that the state of the nation should not affect our calling. 
Our calling should affect the state of the nation. And if we were as concerned about winning souls as we are about winning seats, then our nation would not be in the state that it's in. That's what I'm preaching. Because it's my conviction. If we as a church would be as upset over the fact that we haven't led one person to Jesus in 20 days, as we may or may not be about not winning an election for two years, then our nation would either become again or become once and for all. One nation under God, indivisible because of who he is and what he's done. But until, listen to me, until the body of Christ is once again burdened for the unbeliever and the purpose is commissioning people for the sake of the gospel and converting souls for the sake of God's kingdom. Our nation will continue to go in the direction that it is currently going. And we as a church will be held accountable. Examine. Because winning souls should be way more revered than winning seats. Winning souls should be the purpose of my life as a believer in Jesus. And following him means finding them and leading them back. That's my conviction. This is our story. Listen, though. Listen, listen. This is where it gets a little heavier, a little bit deeper. I'm going to lighten it up in just a second. This is my story. But listen, friend. The story that I write is the story that my children will live. See, the state of the church is not a reflection of the job of the nation. The state of the nation is a reflection of the job of the church. And if early Christians could convert a pagan empire then the church of America should still be convicted by who they are not or who they are, leading for the sake of God's kingdom. When we're more concerned with winning souls for the sake of the kingdom than we are winning seats for the sake of our cause, we will turn this nation back around in Jesus' name. And our children and our children's children will point to the revival of 2019 and 2020 when the church gained the purpose of Christ back in their heart and reached the people of a nation with God's plan for them and his bride. And that's what we look to. That's for, that's, that's for me. And so I'm just sharing it with you that I shouldn't be satisfied with not reaching souls. And if I'm going to get upset about something, then let's get upset about the right things. Now, let me lighten it up just a little bit. This morning, I'm going to take you quickly through, through the story of four people uh, in Scripture. One of them is Jesus, and, and then there's a, another three. And this is 
Again, I'm just going to dress as an illustration here. That is upside down. This is, uh, goes this way. Guys, this is, it, these stories, you can go in Bible Gateway, Matthew chapter 8. You can go there. And, and then it's also, it's not really, but let's just for fun pretend that it is. These stories are four authors in one pen brought to you by Snuggie. It is a, uh, it's a blanket with arms, y'all. I mean, seriously, what took somebody so long to come up with this? Why didn't my granddaddy think, you know what, I'm cold. I want to wear that. I don't want to just wrap it around me. And then these things are called fries instead of Snuggies. I mean, that would be just great for my giving. Come on, somebody. But this Snuggie, this Snuggie this morning, it, it represents kind of the culture that we're in. Like I just, you know, what I, my perception of Christianity is that I'm just going to put on my my robe of righteousness, and, and I'm going to sit back on my couch of comfort, and I'm going to watch TBN, and I'm going to watch Fox News, oh, I went there, and I'm just going to sit back, and I'm going to be comfortable when things are going good, and I'm going to get mad when things are going bad, but I'm not going to get up and do anything about it, because I have my Snuggie. <laughs> I have uh, my, my comfort my convenience, and then my little ninja turtle here, this is Gabriel's little favorite character, this represents security. Now listen, listen, here's where we get upset. <laughs> it's so hard to take you seriously. I know, it's hot too, my Lord Jesus, it's hot. We get upset whenever, whenever somebody takes our comfort, when it's challenged, when our convenience is challenged. See, we will, we will fight for our comfort, and, and we will be offended if someone tries to take our convenience. In fact, my security is so important to me that if you challenge it, I may lose my witness, possibly even give up my salvation for a moment, just to let you know you're wrong. Okay, there's a problem with that. Because there are times where we are called. If you're taking notes this morning, there are times as believers where we are called to give up our comfort. We're called. Send your notes on the back of the bulletin or you go to eunicechurch.com slash notes. There are times we're called to, to give up our comfort. And I know I look, it's goofy to, to preach in a Snuggie, but, but that's so often what we do. We wrap ourselves in our own comfort and then we don't leave any room for the comforter. That is not Christianity. If you evaluate the lives of the early Christians, of the disciples, and the men and women who would become apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and saints equipped to do the ministry of Jesus Christ, they are marked by a path of earthly discomfort. They are marked by a path of self-denial for the sake of Christ. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus sees a crowd around him and he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of a lake. Verse 19, one of the teachers of the religious law, one of the church people, said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, It's not going to be very comfortable. Foxes have holes and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
what he was saying to the scribe, I find it interesting. A scribe would be one that would write on the parchment the stories of old. The scribe who was writing the story, what he was saying to the scribe was, you're going to have to give up your pen, your position, in order to follow me and build my kingdom. See, that scribe was familiar with the scriptures of the Messiah, and he saw something in Jesus that looked like victory, and he wanted to be a part of what looked like victory because he wanted to be a part of building what he thought would be an earthly kingdom in, a, in line with the seat and the throne of David that the Jewish people and the Hebrew nation would once again rise up because of the coming Messiah and establish an earthly kingdom that he could be a part of. And so in order to promote himself and position himself beside the man that he believed to be the one that would build an earthly kingdom. He said, Jesus, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, really? Because I'm not building what you think I'm building. It's bigger than what you're thinking. And if your thinking is stinking, then you can't go where I want to build. I I'm going to call you out of your comfort, out of your position, out of your own personal promotion. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What Jesus knew is the same thing that's still happening in America today, that many people want to follow Jesus, but very few are actually willing. Listen. Hear me, this is, not, this is not me casting stones at you. This is me carrying a cross of personal conviction and, and sharing it with you today. I believe that hell is filled with people who had good intentions. I believe hell is filled with people who had a want to. But heaven will be filled with people who were willing I want to get plugged in and get involved and teach a small group, but am I, I want to learn how to give, not just financially on Sunday morning, but of my time, my effort, my energy, my ability. I want to, but, but am I willing to? Does he hold the pen? Number two, there are times when we are called to concede our convenience to concede our convenience. Verse 21, another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Now that sounds a little intense. Like Jesus just told two people what they were going to have to do that really wanted to be a part of his church. It would be like somebody coming in here and saying, hey, I want to follow you, and, and then me saying, hey, that's great, but, but my house isn't as nice as yours, and so you're going to have to give that up if you want to go where I'm going. <laughs> that's what Jesus told this guy. And then another guy says, hey, I want to follow you, but my dad died, and I need to go bury him. Well, see, Jesus knows the heart of the individual, so he spoke to the struggle of the scribe. Come on, he spoke to his struggle. He, he spoke to what he knew was going to hold him back if he didn't let go of what he was holding on to. So he looks at this young man, and he knows that the son, in order to inherit 
what the Father has has to stay at the bedside and be a part of the funeral procession. If he wants to inherit what his daddy had, then he's got to be there with his daddy when they bury him. And Jesus is saying to this young man, let the spiritually dead worry about dead things. If you want to follow me, come follow me. Stop worrying about your inheritance. I don't need your inheritance. I have my own. And it's not found in earthly treasure. It's found in the heart of men and women who do not yet belong to me. So he told that man to follow him now. Now here's what's interesting. In Matthew chapter 8, you see all these stories of Jesus healing people and filling people and casting out demons and performing many miracles. In fact, at the top of Matthew chapter 8, we just saw a story about a Roman centurion. The Roman centurion, a non-Hebrew, non-churchgoer, looked at Jesus and asked Jesus to come heal his child. And Jesus said, I'll come. And the man said, you don't need to come. I just need you to speak the word and my child will be healed. And Jesus said, faith unlike this exists not in our nation, in the nation of the Jewish people. And the church doesn't even have this kind of transformational faith. And this man has that faith. What Jesus was saying is, if I could just get my people to believe like this brother, then the state of the nation would be flipped upside down because of the faith of my people. But there is no one who has the faith like this man. And this story is a resonation of what takes place down here in verse 21 through 23. When Jesus looks at the, the man who has a dead father and says, let them bury themselves. You follow me. Okay, Matthew got so tired of writing about the miracles that Jesus was performing. In Matthew chapter 8, the Bible says, and Jesus came into this place. He healed many people. He cast out many demons, and he performed many miracles. Like, that's how often Jesus was performing miracles, and Jesus was moving in people's lives, and, and Jesus was truly changing everything. So I present to you the theory today that if this man would have been willing to lay down his inheritance, we would probably see another miracle of another dead man being resurrected to life in the name of Jesus Christ. He probably missed his miracle because of his lack of obedience. Because I just know Jesus well enough that if that man would have sacrificed for just a moment, if he would have surrendered his own story, then Jesus would have made a 180 degree circle back to his house, spoken one word, and the dead daddy would come back alive in Christ, and the whole household would have been saved in the name of Jesus. But instead, we read his story. One more. Mark chapter 10 final point this morning. There are times where we are called to cast off the restrictions. And y'all, man, look, it's hot. I ain't even going to lie. I'm just, I didn't do this in first service. I pray there's not a ton of sweat stains. Looks like I've been wearing. I'm going to keep my arms down and stuff. There are times where we just whoo, cast off the constriction of our former perception. We just got to take that thing off and and believe differently, live differently, and act differently. And this rich young man comes to Jesus. As, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, and he knelt down. Can you see him? He, he runs, and he kneels down, and he falls down to worship. And he says, good teacher. He said all the right things. He did all the right things. He sat on the front row and worshiped freely. He gave every Sunday. 
He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, why are you calling me good? You don't even really know me. You know of me. Why are you calling me good? Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, commit adultery, steal, falsely testify, or lie. You can't cheat on anyone. You need to honor your father and mother. And the the young man says, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Come on, y'all. This dude, every one of them, like you ain't never one time in your teenage years lusted after something you weren't supposed to. You a lying fool. He said, I've done all of them. Listen, that's what, that's what we do today. We look at where we are and we look down our nose at where people are not. And we go, man, we forget where we came from. We forget our fallenness. And therefore, we are not able to be used in the life of the people who are still fallen and broken and hurting because we're too busy patting ourselves on the back and giving ourselves credit for what costs Jesus everything. He said, I've done all of that since I was young. And so Jesus, if I would have been him, I would have started naming times he didn't, just in front of everybody. But that's why I'm not Jesus. Okay, so here's what Jesus did. Watch this, verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Jesus looked at this man, he said, my God, the fact that you think that means you sat in my house for 20 years and you never understood that this thing was bigger than you. You were plugged into church, you were involved every Sunday, maybe you even came on Wednesday night, learned how to tithe faithfully and and give over and above in offerings and, and you thought all of that was salvation. You came every week involved in small groups and and you fed yourself and you never understood that the purpose of your salvation was so that you could serve somebody else and the greatest fulfillment that you could ever receive is to give and invest into the life of someone who is not yet standing where you are. You were involved and yet you were never influential into anyone or anything outside of you. Hello, Church of the United States. The Bible Belt mentality. I was raised in this thing. I get it. I've been there. I understand. So Jesus says, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven Then you can come and follow me. And in verse 22, at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had almost as many possessions as we do. We get offended when a pastor gives too many offerings, too many opportunities. When the church asks for you to invest in what they sense God is calling. And as a pastor, I carry the weight of not offending you by asking you to ask God how to give. And we're very careful even in our language every week because we don't want you to be the rich young ruler that walks out when we could have just simply said something in a different way. And Jesus makes no apologies in this passage. Now, I'm not Jesus, so I'm a little more careful, but he makes no apologies. He doesn't just ask 
to give in an offering. He says, if you want to follow me, then you'll go sell everything that you have and you'll give it for the sake of my kingdom. If you want to follow me, you can look at your bank account and see where your heart is. If you want to follow me, you can look at this expenditure of your time and see what you care about the most. If you want to follow me, you can evaluate what you invest the most energy and the most effort in, and that is your God. And we wonder why our nation is going to hell in a handbasket. Because we're not willing to give up our comfort, concede our convenience, and God forbid some preacher ask us to cast off our constriction. The man walked away sad because he had too much junk that he would rather watch rot away in his house until the garbage man comes by than he would share it with somebody else that's currently in need. Will we give up our comfort? I know it's heavy. But the only way that we'll win this city with an authentic and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is when the people who already claim his name, the people who say he is the author of their lives, have stories that reflect his writings. Will I concede my convenience? And will I cast off anything that is constricting? Would we be, would we be an extravagant church? for an extravagant God. Lord, right now, I ask that you would help us in this place. God, would we just evaluate whether we're truly living out a biblical gospel? I don't mean this to be hurtful or even as heavy as it feels, but we just carry this vision and this conviction and and it will never happen if we are all rich young rulers, if we're all writing our own stories, and if we all claim to be followers but we're truly spiritually dead. So Father, right now, would you help us? Help us to hear from you before we move, before we gather our things, before we go anywhere and ask the followers of Christ, the believers in the house today, I want to ask you to ask the question, who really holds the pen? Is Jesus truly authoring the pages of my day? My time, my talent, my ability, my giftings, does God use that to build his kingdom? Or predominantly, do I use it to build my own? And I want you to pray this prayer, Lord. Help me to give up my comfort if that's what you ask me to do. 
God, help me in 2019 to concede my convenience for the sake of your kingdom. And God, in Jesus' name, may we cast off any constriction or constricting spirit because we don't want to be believers that live in bondage and are satisfied with less than your best for our lives. Ask you to make a commitment right now where you sit that if you would be willing to let God help you give up some of your comfort, concede some of your convenience, and cast off, most importantly, cast off any constriction that may exist in your life as a follower of Christ. I just want you to lift your hand to heaven right where you sit, and I want you to begin to pray the prayer of the prophet Isaiah that would say, woe is me, for I'm unclean. But God, you are the resurrection and the life. Father, here I am. Send me. Here I am. Use me. The things that you've given me, the talent and the ability, the energy and the effort. Father, may I use those things to help build your kingdom and not promote my own alone. We thank you for your provision and your purpose. Our security is in you. Now, for anybody in the room with nobody looking around who has never received Christ, your life is being authored by you. He's not the Lord of your life, and you have not been living for him. You haven't been following him. Today, you can ask for forgiveness for going your own direction. And you can turn back to Jesus and therefore turn away from the things that you've been doing that are causing condemnation, guilt, and shame in your life. Because Jesus has a better way. If you believe that today and you would be willing to confess him as Lord, receive the salvation that he has to offer and take the first step to a new journey because you know that you need to. I just want you to lift your hand right where you are and say, hey, that's me. Thank you, thank you, I see you. Anybody else, I see you. I just need to confess Jesus as Lord of my life. I want his way, not my own. I see you, thank you, thank you. Church, we believe that if we will call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. So right now, as one, whether you lifted your hand or whether you didn't, when I ask you to, to say this prayer with all of your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ to receive salvation and be made righteous in your faith. Come on, let's pray this prayer together out loud. Come on, church, I need you to help them. Say it with me. Jesus, forgive me for going my own way. All the times I built my kingdom and not yours. Help me to give up my comfort. Concede my convenience. I cast off all restraint. I give you my life. Save me. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can you give him praise? I know it was heavy.
But that's the purpose of the cross.